Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Katie Pritchett, and this is Megan and Weston McManus. Um, as you can see on the screen, to, well, I'd say today is, today is Oak City Church's Orphan Sunday. I think most churches celebrated it last Sunday, but we're doing it. We just want to be different, so it's fine. Um, Weston and Megan, um, uh, we have talked quite a bit over the past couple weeks, um, and there's a lot to their story. And um, when we talked, the very, in the very beginning, Megan had mentioned um, she's super, like, not super nervous, well, maybe, maybe super nervous, about words. Um, this is a burden I don't feel. I am, um, I'm a mom of three kids. I have not adopted. I'm mom. Words are simple in my, in my life and my family. I don't have to put a lot of thought into it. And what I've discovered in talking with Weston and Megan and other uh, families who have adopted in our church is that words have um, a lot of significance um, in their family. And um, I told him it's a little bit like learning a new language when you're talking about adoption, having to, making sure that you're careful with your words, biological mom um, versus adopted mom, or really just mom, because you are, um, and dad. Um, I, but I have noticed that the burden falls, the moms feel the burden um, a lot more, it just at least in conversation um, about the words. And so um, I apologize in advance if I mess that up. Um, if I refer to Brooke, who is the biological mom, as mom, um, just know that they have been very gracious to me. And they, um, they are not mad, and so I would ask that you not get mad at me either. Um, because we do it too sometimes. Yes. Um, it's an imperfect process. We are imperfect people, but man, the gospel is rich in their story. Also, you should know that Megan does not love being up here. Um, and two things that happen when she gets up here is she's a little nervous that she might say things she's not supposed to say that are maybe not quite appropriate for the church. And then also she tends to get a little bit um, jokey with Weston and so may, maybe poke at him a little bit. So if you see that play out, um, you'll know where that's coming from. So now that we all know where we're standing on things, we decided to make this morning um, the, take the opportunity to talk uh, to tell your pursuit story, your love story for Cameron, your adopted daughter. Um, and so that's how this morning is going to be framed. And so um, adoption, Megan, let's talk about the call. Where did it start for you? Am I going? There we go. Hello. Hi. So um, I grew up in a Christian home, so I always thought adoption was a great thing, you know, something great that other people did. Um, I honestly never thought it would be part of our story as a family. Um, and I think that changed. I talked to Mandy Smith recently, and she said it was February 2014. She went to India, and she came back telling our home group all about the orphans in India. And something in my heart just clicked, and I thought, wow, like I'm supposed to do something with orphan care. I don't know what it is, but it just really touched my heart. 
and ironically, I had just found out I was pregnant with Lawson, so it was funny timing, but I think God sometimes works that way. Yeah, does this one work a little bit better? All right. I'm going to drop this one. <coughs> See what I did there? She just dropped the I mic is what she that. said, if y'all didn't pick up on that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for me, I, so when Megan and I got married in 2009, um, I, I think it was a big part of the story to emphasize that I was, or I had not yet understood the gospel, I was not yet baptized, and so when we got married, obviously we were talking about what our family would look like, and I think that my ideal of a family was probably based upon, like, American culture, two kids, uh, and maybe a dog, uh, because that what's, you know, that's what will fit inside of a sedan, and you, you would be able to avoid a minivan, which we have now and we love, and we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, but really, you know, both of our parents are divorced, so the idea of what family is was already pretty messy for us. But um, even knowing the, the messiness of our family, you know, it, it's big and it's lovely, so if my family's watching, I don't mean messy in a bad way. But, um, beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess, you're right. And... Um, uh, but when it came to an ideal situation for what I wanted our family to look like, I was thinking two kids and a dog. And then Megan kind of persuaded me, well, what about three kids? Because she grew up uh, with two sisters. And so that, but that was really, that was really it. And you guys had said adoption was like, kind of like, yeah, maybe, but it was never something you took seriously. Um, certainly not as a call. So you bought a house. First kid is six months old. You guys wanted to have your kids close together. And um, so you're in the autopilot of the American dream. And it's time to have baby number two. And then you get yanked out of autopilot. No more cruise control. Megan, what happened? Yeah. So actually, um, I started feeling really sick. Um, I was working full time, 45 minutes from our house. And I had a newborn, I was breastfeeding, you know, at first I just thought it was normal stress, you know, I was feeling anxious, I was having heart palpitations, my hair started falling out, I wasn't sleeping, um, and when I finally knew something was wrong, I had realized that I had lost 30 pounds, and I was actually, like, under my pre-pregnancy weight, um, so I went to the doctor, and I asked for some labs to be drawn, and it turned out that I had an autoimmune thyroid disease, and my body was attacking itself. Um, so it was really, I mean, a lot of people have thyroid problems. It's not a huge deal, but it just, it really hit me hard and I was really sick. And I know Weston was really worried about me. Um, he wanted me to stop breastfeeding. I wouldn't, like it was just a lot of stress. Um, and, and so we were at the endocrinologist. You want me to keep going? Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. We were at the endocrinologist and it had been a couple months. And at that point I said, you know, can I get pregnant in the next year? And she said no. And at that minute, it was just like this huge vacuum, just like this disruption in our life um, because we were going to have kids close together, just like me and my sisters are close together in age. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, you're not. Um, and so I was, you know, I was pretty crushed by this. I didn't really know what to think. And that night I was in the shower and I do my best thinking in the shower. I don't know about you guys, but that's like the 
only time I have to myself to think. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just placed the word adopt in my mind. Like it was like he was whispering in my ear, just adopt, adopt. And I thought it would fill me with, you know, I'd be scared or whatever, but it was just like I had this peace. And so I got out of the shower and I told Weston, and I thought he would be totally freaked out, um, but he wasn't. He was like, oh my gosh, I feel like God is telling me exactly the same thing. And so we just had this moment where we just felt, like I think I told our home group, I felt like the Holy Spirit just blasted us in the face with a blowtorch. Like it was so obvious and such a just, I don't know, like God was speaking to us so frankly. Um, but of course, you know, we went to sleep, woke up in the morning, didn't say anything about it. Drove to church, didn't say anything about it. Maybe thought it was one of those just like emotional moments. I'm a very rational person. Um, which, Anyways, so we got here and we sit right there on the front row and Stephen Johnson and some other families come up and it happened to be Orphan Sunday and they just all told their adoption stories and me and Weston just sat there and I know I just, I cried the whole time. Um, so if God didn't already like, hit us over the head with us both being on board with this adoption thing like that was the nail in the coffin for us like there was no turning back Weston dragged me up there we told Todd St. John like we are being called to adopt and it just became like this real thing like we were going for it within a matter of 48 hours um now like because of the medical stuff people could confuse this as this is plan b but Weston you would say this was basically getting you off of your plan and onto God's plan. Yeah, um, and I think that we've experienced confusion, um, friends and family alike, uh, this idea that we couldn't have more biological uh, kids, so we chose to adopt a, a, as a plan B. But it's really not the case. I mean, going back to, uh, you know, as I had mentioned previously, um, you know, I, I wasn't baptized um, until I was 30, and so uh, that was in 2012 is when I got baptized. We got married in 2009, so this idea of what a family looks like had changed during that time. And so when Megan says that, um, you know, I came to her with this excitement uh, of being told, like, a, adoption as part of our, um, as part of what our family could look like, like, it's because my heart had been changed during that time. Um, and with this part of the story is almost the culmination of several years of God working on my heart. Um, and so the idea, because we had talked about like, you know, oh, in theory, it'd be really cool to have three. And you know what would be really like amazing is if after we're done having biological kids, we had an adopted kid too. You know? Very spiritual. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so it, it, was, it was more of a, uh, I'm not going to say a do-good mentality, um, but it was, you know, it wasn't part of our initial ideal family, but that my definition of, of an ideal family had changed. And so I, I had become really excited about the idea of expanding our family through adoption. And so when it came down to it, um, I, I think we chose, I mean, we chose adoption over attempting to have more biological kids just because we, our, our definition of a family had just drastically changed. And if, I mean, if God calls you to do something that clearly and you don't do it, like, why are you even here? You know, <laughs> like I could, I mean. Preach. Um, 
I would absolutely agree with that statement. Uh, saying no, you know, there's there are biblical stories about people being in a body of fish for a few days with the hard nose that we give God sometimes. Um, so, as far as like, you know, to me, adoption, I've never adopted. And um, you know, there are a few families in here who have, but for those of us who haven't, what was that process like as far as, okay, so you said yes to the call. What were the steps that you took after that? You did, there was an information session. Um, and then after that, there was sh some shopping for adoption agencies. And that, what does what that look like? Yeah, so it became really, real, really fast. Um, I, I guess um, Oak City had ho or was going to host the uh, the adoption information session a couple of weeks later, and so we attended that, and then we started filing paperwork. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of um, red tape associated with getting uh, prepared uh, to adopt, and so we you know we started uh, going through all that paperwork, and. Um, and we started looking at different adoption agencies, um, which I'll let Megan talk about that a little bit. But um, I mean, for the most part, this to me, this is not the hard part of our story. You know, this was the part of the story where it's like you just have to go do things and get it done, and then um, in order to do good, to do the good thing. Well, so we'll 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 jump to the hard then. Um, because the logistics of it is something you can have a conversation with someone about. Um, the hard can be a hard thing to talk about on a Sunday, you know, after service. So we're just going to go there. Um, you answer the call. You pursue adoption. But um, if anyone has ever answered God's call, I think we all can speak very confidently that God calls us to hard things. Um, if it was easy, it wouldn't really necessitate a call, right? Um, so you, but if this is your love story for Cameron, you know, you're telling Cameron your love story, no good love story, um, it was well, not good without conflict, without hard, without watching someone pursue. And so in pursuing Cameron, you guys went through some tough spot. Now I will say like you had nine months of getting approved to, um, adopt. So you get the, the green light. And then it's nine months before you're matched to Cameron. Um, but those nine months, which you said nine months is actually pretty short um, as far as adoption um, timelines go. That's a pretty short process. But in that nine months, you guys were rejected seven times. Um, and so when we talked last night, um, you had asked for me to paint that picture um, for everybody. So I'm going to... So Weston and Megan, they, they um, find out that there's a child um, that's available for adoption, and they throw their name in the ring, um, their hat in the ring. And so what that looks like, um, I know that when I found out I was pregnant, I had nine months to wrap my mind around um, how my life is going to change. You know, what do I do with work? What does my husband do with work? What, um, where, where's the baby going to sleep? What's the baby going to look like? When I had a second kid, it was how is my first kid going to handle the second baby and the baby coming in? So many questions. All the prep that not, you, there's the logistical prep, but there's the heart prep. There's the mind prep. 
that goes into um, imagining another person being infused forever in your life and then the, the lifelong implications for that. Every time, God, excuse me, every time they put their name in the ring and they got rejected, it was grieving the loss of a child that they had hoped and planned would be theirs. You can't help but hope for that. You can't help but plan for that. And that happened seven times in nine months. If any of you have ever grieved the loss of someone, then you can maybe connect a little bit with how hard that would be. Um, so you guys are wrung out in this nine months. Um, we do a series once a year, where is God when life happens? But I think that more specifically in this, the question would be, um, where is God when you answer his call? I will let that be for you guys to answer. I think the best you know, term for it is an emotional roller coaster. So every time, you know, I probably checked my email a thousand times a day this during these nine months and every time there'd be an email and it would say a birth mom do with a baby girl this day it's like your heart would just go through the roof you know this could be my child um you know we pray we'd pray about everyone even if it wasn't like in our box of parameters like we'd pray about every situation and god stretched us you know and we kind of had to die every day to ourselves and to our control issues and it was great. I think it was, you know, great for us to get to that point, but it was so hard. Um, and every time, like, if they didn't pick you, you would just get an email, like, a week later that said they picked somebody else. And so I remember one time I was in the room with a patient, and I got the email, and I just started crying. And the patient is, like, this little old lady, and she's, like, putting her arm around me and just, like, it's okay, it's okay. But it was just, I don't know. I had never been through anything, like, but that was that hard and it was such a long period of time to be going through it and um Katie's right every time it happened it was just a little worse I think and um you know when God calls you to do something you think it's going to be easy right you're like God you called us to adopt and it's not working out they're not like these these birth moms aren't choosing us you know or is this really what you want us to do why would you call us to this if if it's not what you want for our family and um I will say there were really, there were good times, like I felt really close to God, I felt like the Holy Spirit just was really vocal in our lives, our, our home group, our family, like we had so much support, and so there were really, you know, good, heartwarming times, but by the end of those nine months, we were just, I mean, we were spent um, emotionally, for sure. Yeah, um, I would, <coughs> um, the rejection was really tough. I mean, it's probably an inappropriate analogy, but the, what I was telling to people as we were going through it is, uh, do you remember being at a middle school dance and asking a girl to dance with you? And she says, no. Well, it's like that times like a million. Um, and it was really, really difficult because like Katie said, you started allowing yourself to picture what your family is going to look like very soon because you have to mentally prep because it could be you know, an immediate situation you could have, uh, you, there are 
logistical things to do in your life to prep for. And so you have to, if you want it to go through, you have to allow yourself down there. There's, there's no guarding that can be done for it. And so, um, yeah, uh, being, being rejected seven times, it, it took its toll. And, you know, any, anybody that was in our home group, especially during that time, man, they, they waded through the muck with us. And, oh, my gosh, like that, that was unbelievable amount of support. Um, well, and I remember when you guys, um, you had gone through four rejections. Um, and, like, your home group knew, but the church as a whole didn't know. And then you guys opened up and started CCing everyone, saying, please pray. Um, and so then, I've, I mean, for those of us in Oak City Church that were praying for you, it's like we all collectively held our breath. And like, I mean, I guess that's why it, it hurt to watch you guys go through that. Um, and then there's a part of it that I didn't know about till talking with you. You know, you guys are already wrung out. You're at the end of what you think you have left. You're, and then in April, um, Lawson had a medical scare, and the medical scare could have been a life-changing event. It could have been cancer. Um, so it's like the worst cherry you could put on top of anything. You are at your wit's end, and then this happens. Tell us about that week. I'll try to. Um, so, yes, we were in a valley already. I mean, we were wrung out. We had, we had, I mean, we just keep ceasing people at the church. Like, there's power in prayer. Let's just keep adding people and praying and praying and praying for this. And um, so, you know, there was something that happened, and, you know, there was the possibility that Lawson could be, you know, need a lot of medical care immediately. And, you know, obviously the question is, well, can we take care of a newborn if we have a child, a two-year-old, who is, you know, undergoing treatment for what could have been something horrendous? And um, so that happened, and then that Friday, there was a new situation, baby girl, you know, due in three weeks. And I paused, you know, I said, wait, like, we can't, we can't, you know, put our name in the hat for this baby girl, you know, we... We have to take care of the kid we have, you know, like we, I just, you know, for a minute, I just stopped. Like I, there was such a temptation to, to not do it. Um, and Weston was really the rock in that situation. You know, he, he said, no, like this is, you know, what we're called to do and God's called us here for a reason and that this is supposed to be our child. And that's what, you know, every night for a year we had prayed with Lawson, like wherever our brother or sister is, like, please take care of them and bring them to us soon. So it's like, if this is our brother's, you know, Lawson's brother or sister, you know, we have to say yes. And so we had to decide that day if we were going to put our name in the hat. And so <laughs> we scheduled the scan for Lawson for Wednesday. This was Friday. We put our name in the hat Friday. Um, and I remember we had a worship night here for our home group, and I just was bawling my eyes out. And I'm not an emotional person at all. I don't cry ever. A lot. I feel like I've cried a lot. <laughs> Telling the, like, God changed that. Story. <laughs> yes. Um, but I just was like, I have never cried so hard than like imagining my two-year-old going through what he may have had to go through. And I just felt like 
I could not get any lower. I think Weston described it as like our heart physically hurt in our chest um, thinking about our son. And um, do you want to tell any of this? <laughs> so, um, so Friday you put your hat in the ring again, eighth time. Um, Lawson had his brain scan. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we, um, Katie asked us the question, why did you do it? And we both, uh, we both kind of paused last, uh, last night when we were talking about it. We were like, <laughs> like, there's no good reason for us to do it. We were just completely exhausted. You would have been, everyone would have totally understood if you yeah. had taken a pause, right? I mean, I think we collectively can nod our heads that that's a lot already. Yeah. Um, but um, well, we both answered because we were both really stubborn. Um, uh, which is true, but at the same time, I, I don't think of ourselves as just crazy. Uh, so we're stubborn, but we're not crazy. And this was kind of crazy for us to um, to put ourselves out there again. Yeah. So we have Lawson has a scan on Wednesday, and then there's that limbo of everything's just up there. And I like I would equate this to you guys took a giant leap of faith not knowing where your foot was going to land, trusting God was going to put it where it needed to go. And Thursday, this is great. I'm going to read this. this is great. No, you, you want to say it? You, you got it. You got it. This is great. Yeah. Y'all, things get better. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this was like one of the craziest weeks of our life. So, um, you know, we, we put our hat Friday, or put our uh, hat in the ring Friday. He had the scan on Wednesday. Thursday, we got the um, gall that it was not cancer. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we were, like, just over the moon. And then Friday. <laughs> Friday's Good Friday. I am off work at home. And I am sitting in my chair drinking my coffee. Um, and I get a call on my phone from a Jacksonville, Florida area code. And I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, holy crap, this is it. Like, <laughs> they've never called before. It's always been, you know, the worst email in the world. So I look at my phone. It's Jacksonville, Florida. It's the adoption agency. And she tell I don't even know what she says. I can't remember anything she said. <laughs> she Basically said, yes. said, yes, so <laughs> they picked you. She wants to talk to you tonight. Um, and, you know, congratulations. And so I get off the phone. I call Weston at work. He says it's the most excited he's ever heard my voice in our entire life. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, our you know, we have a girl due in two weeks. Yeah, so you've got two weeks. I mean, this is why they had to have their hearts, minds, and logistics prepped seven times because you have such a short amount of time to change your entire life um, to receive a child. So you have two weeks um, before Cameron is born, and then because of Florida laws, you are down in Florida for three weeks um, while paperwork is being processed so you can bring her home. Tell, um, there's a picture um, of Lawson down, um, and this is, this, so this is, this is Brooke, um, the biological mom. Um, and that is Cameron in her belly. And Lawson, um, don't cry. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, Megan, tell us a little bit, if you can, um, what that was like. Yeah, 
I was gonna say, so we, we didn't mention this, but we felt like, you know, there was a attack on our family, like when we were going through that with Lawson, like the devil did not want this to happen. And he kind of pulled out all the stops. So his last one was that our whole family got the flu the day before we were supposed to go to Florida. <laughs> and that was another time I cried. <laughs> so I was like, I actually cried to my boss, he, he's a doctor, and he, he's like, you're gonna be fine, I'm gonna give you Tamiflu, you're gonna be okay. I was like, okay. So we all, you know, do all the things, get all the things ready. It, we're just on, you know, we're just running on adrenaline. We drive down to Florida as a family. We are so pumped. We get to meet. We set up a meeting with Brooke, which I can't, I mean, I just can't even explain what a monumental moment and how nervous we were and how big that was for our family to have that day that we spent with her before Cameron was born. Um, and then we're staying with Weston's aunt, who just happens to live 45 minutes away from where the baby's going to be born. You know, wink, wink. Coincidences. Um, and we get a call in the middle of the night. She's in labor. She had scheduled a C-section. Yeah, yeah, the day after the picture. Yeah, the like eight hours after. Yeah, eight hours after this picture, she actually went into labor before her scheduled C-section. So in the middle of the night, we're rushing to the hospital. You know, Karen's born. Um, you know, we stay in the hospital with her for two days with Brooke. There's always, always that question, is she going to sign the papers? She signs the papers. We take her, we take her home. Aww. There she is, tiny little thing. And then, you know, we get to drive to our house in, in Raleigh and everything's okay. No. Um, <laughs> we had to stay in Florida for three weeks after she was born. And, I mean, there are worse places to be than Amelia Island, Florida, for three weeks in May. It was pretty sweet in that regard. Um, Weston's aunt was amazing and let us stay with her for part of that time. And then um, Weston and Lawson actually went home after about two weeks and my mom came and stayed with us. And it was Mother's Day and you know, me and my mom and Cameron um, just, we had, we did our thing. We went out to eat every night. We just had a wonderful time. but. The whole time, we just really wanted to get home and start our life oh, together, yeah. but it was very special moments. That's awesome. Um, now, briefly, I want to talk about, you guys had, um, you guys went with an open adoption, um, which is why you guys were able to meet Brooke, um, and that open adoption looks different for everyone. Weston, if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, um, so open adoption, legally, it just means that we meet and know who the birth mom is. After that, open adoption means whatever you want it to mean. Um, and when we started this whole process, I think that we were really um, against the idea of open adoption because uh, as certified control freaks, um, we wanted to maintain everything. But, um, I mean, we read several books and God really opened our heart that no, um, it, we only want open adoption. Um, and um, so the relationship that um, we, we hope that Cameron has uh, with her birth mom, Brooke, um, we call her, or you know, we call her Miss Brooke, um, is, you know, the way that we explain it to her is that she, Mrs. Brooke, uh, carried Cameron in her belly so that God could give her to us. Um, in the same way that Jesus adopted us into his family, uh, we adopted her into uh, into our family. And so, it, you know, we were really careful when we were talking with Katie to not have any sort of uh, equivocation that we are Jesus, like in this story. 
course we're not. Um, but it, it, you know, just the idea that the definition of family, it, it, it's, it, can, it can look amazing. Like, uh, I don't know if y'all saw the, uh, the Adoption Sunday last year when John Fouchet was um, talking about his family and also showing that, that family in Texas that has eight different adopted kids, which, you know, I'm not a crier either, but I was bawling like a little girl that day. Um, but so long story short, we want Cameron to understand and know who her birth mom is, and then when she gets old enough, she gets to decide what that relationship looks like. Um, and that, that was really important f for us to, to, uh, yeah. to uh, for her to know, to know her. That's awesome. Um, well, we've got some slides of Cameron now. Um, and so y'all just, she's just the cutest thing. And she's adorable. And her little voice is like the voice of Cindy Lou Who. It's so cute. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny. You, I say funny. Love stories usually have an ending, at least in the movies, but this ending is really just the beginning, right? Um, you know, you had a child, a, a baby in the house, and all of the challenges that come with that. Um, I mean, you're, you're a mom and dad of two kids. Um, we, we know, I mean, Cameron, well, if y'all want to just, real quick, how much y'all... How much y'all love Cameron? Go ahead. Cameron is one of a kind, and um, she has always danced to the beat of her own drum. You could probably tell by these pictures. And I think her being adopted, we can just celebrate that. And um, I've always just felt so protective over her. Like, I've just been this mama bear with her since she was born. Like, she, I felt like she didn't leave my arms when she was born because, like, I was so protective over her and just having a little girl and she's little like we can carry her around like a, a sack of taters still like she's just tiny and so having this little girl like she has just stolen everybody's heart and everybody we meet our entire family um, with her huge personality and her little body but yeah um, you know how some people can try to be cute and then they're not, I, I guess me, uh, <laughs> but it, it was, it was like, it, it was, uh, like a natural proclivity that she has is to just be cute. Like every single thing that she does, like the way that she'll watch TV like this <laughs> and you're just like, what? what is it? but so, you know, um, so five years ago, I, I, I couldn't have imagined that every morning I would have a little girl who walks into the room half awake carrying a, uh, a little stuffed animal of Mufasa from the Lion King, throws it on the bed, climbs up, and says, Daddy, talk to me. And so I have to be Mufasa for about 10 or 15 minutes every morning. And, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, she's one of a kind. She's, she's amazing. Um, so that's the obvious um, blessing, right? You have a, you have a baby girl, um, and she's wholly yours, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but there are some unexpected, um, unexpected blessings that came from it. Um, if you guys want to hit on those. Yeah, I'll start with um, Brooke. So we have a relationship with Cameron's birth mom that I never expected. And I think birth moms get a bad rap um, in culture. And that's probably the number one question we get all the time is about Brooke. And... You know, she, I've told Katie, she's the true hero in this story. Like, she made this all happen. And um, 
there was a quote I read that said, you know, it's not lost on me that my greatest blessing came from somebody else's greatest loss. And we feel that, that, you know, balance. Um, there is sad and hard in her story, but um, the relationship with Brooke and Cameron's biological siblings, um, we recently went to the beach and had a beach day with them, and I will never forget their interactions and the pictures we have are just priceless. So that was something I didn't expect off the bat was such a strong relationship with her biological mom. Um, some of the other, I'm, I'm gonna read this so I don't forget. Um, some of the other unexpected blessings. I mean, uh, Oak City and my, you know, my family, my friends, or our family, our friends, they really rallied around us through this whole thing. I mean, it was it was crazy. Uh, we talk about, we've been talking a lot about in home group, how um, the if you're if you're comfortable, you don't need to be comforted by the great comforter, you know, capital G, capital C. Um, and this was we this was the season we needed comfort. I mean, it was, and it was just amazing all the comfort that we got um, from everybody, financially, emotionally, spiritually. It was just, it was awesome. Um, uh, like, like, you know, it, it, you don't know that you're, uh, for example, we got a baby girl due in two weeks, and all of a sudden someone just brings this baby close. Like, we don't remember who did that, but we know that it happened, which is just awesome. Um, home group and, uh, and family support. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I'll mention is that I think that, from one of my biggest blessings is when I get to talk to people who don't know Jesus, um, adoption is such a natural segue into that conversation. Uh, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is, well, why did you adopt? And, you know, and they, people mean no harm when they ask that, obviously. Um, you know, it kind of raises an antenna, raises our antenna a little bit, and we kind of get little mama bear, papa bear on it, but, um, but at the same time, like, I, I was having a conversation with a Muslim friend of mine, and she was like, she just didn't really understand it, because she said in her community, in, in the Muslim community, um, a, adoption is almost looked at in a, in a negative light. Um, family and bloodline is extremely important, and so uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think adoption in terms of the U.S. in general is becoming uh, very socially acceptable, but in some parts it's, it's not. Well, and so we're gonna take a minute there. Um, there is a definite connection or parallel between adoption, um, like what you guys did, and what God did for us, our spiritual adoption. Um, and so I'm just, I'm gonna talk through a couple of those points. Weston and Megan pulled Cameron out of a difficult situation, a difficult situation that Cameron's biological mom saw um, wouldn't be good for her. And so um, they, she provided a way for you guys to adopt and you guys sought after Cameron. Um, we're dead in our sin. Um, and God made a way to give us life. And Jesus made that way by dying on the cross for our sin. They planned for, they chose, and pursued Cameron. God created us. He knew us before we were knit in our mother's womb. And he faithfully pursues us. Um, they didn't choose Cameron based on, they didn't know she was going to be a little Cindy Lou Who. 
They didn't know, <laughs> you know. Um, they, didn't, they didn't pick Cameron based on her track record. She didn't do anything to earn or deserve their love. While we were still dead in our sin, Christ died for us. It's not by anything we have done that we're saved. It is a free gift from God. Cameron gained an inheritance when she joined the family. Inheritance of love, family, community. Um, we are co-heirs with Christ. And God has prepared a place for us to spend eternity with him because of what Christ has done. They sacrificed for Cameron in so many ways, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially. And they did it because they saw her as worth it, and they still do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and perfect son for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're listening to the story and you have not yet been adopted into God's family, please hear this. God created you. He knows you. He loves you. He sees you as worth it, so much so, he sacrificed his only son and perfect son to die on, on a cross, a criminal's death, so that we could be freed of the consequence of our sin, so that we could be called sons and daughters of him. Jesus saw us as worth it, of living a perfect life, a blameless life, and taking our sin and the consequence for it on the cross for us, defeating death so that we could know the love of our Father. Just like Weston and Megan pursued Cameron out of, his, out of a desire to love her and call, call her theirs, God did all of that, pursuing us simply because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to lavish his love on us as any good father would. If, you're, if you have questions about that, if that is ringing true in your heart, um, there'll be some time after the service where I'd love to talk with you about that. Weston and Megan would love to talk to you about that. Now, if you're here and you have been adopted into God's family. You've known, you have a story of God pursuing you and how that has changed your life. And now you are a co-heir with Christ. What is God saying to you in this story? Because God doesn't say nothing. Um, is he calling you to adopt? Is he calling you to foster? Is he calling you to actively support the, the whole beautiful adoption story for someone else and someone else's family. Um, I want to think about that. We've got time. Um, we are, we're wrapping this up. I have one more question. Um, and if the band wants to come up. Um, I 
asked a question. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, but I also asked um, the other families in our church, both past and present, um, who have adopted or fostered. I've asked this question. When you are no longer on this earth and your adopted foster child is long in years, and they're recounting their adoption or foster story to their kids, neighbors, friends. What is the one thing you hope is so imprinted in their heart and in their mind that they carry it with them through all of their life? That she's good and that she's loved and that she belongs in our family and in God's family. And I said that the definition of family is so much more than your genes. Um, uh, John Fouché talked about that last year, where um, you have the ability to define what your family is. And the definition of how you define family is going to be passed on to your kids. Or, you know, it's going to have a very large persuasive impact on how you define it to your kids. And that how the gospel defines family is, is the best way. Um. Thank you guys for sharing your story. I know that it was not easy for y'all. Um, so the question that I asked, I asked a handful of families, and um, the answers are a beautiful echo of God's heart, God's, God our Father and his love for us. And so um, you each have a communion cup on your seat, and as the band is playing, the, the answers that the families have given are going to be um, kind of scrolled through. And I want you to read those and read those as an echo of God's heart in his pursuit of you and his desire for you. And, and then reflect on the fact that because he loves us, he sent his son to die for us. And when we take communion, we take the bread, which reflects the body that was broken so that we could become co-heirs with Christ, adopted into God's family. And when we take and drink the juice, that juice represents the blood that was shed for you, for me, so that we could know the love of our Father. So reflect on that, think through that, and let's worship our good Father. <laughs>